Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome to What's the Hazard. This is our podcast about workplace safety and health. Uh, we are just safety professionals sitting here talking about safety, and um, hopefully there's some information that you'll receive today that'll be useful to you. Uh, before I introduce my guests today, um, I would like to comment on something that happened this week. Uh, a friend of mine, Aaron Cerrone, who's been on the podcast a few times, he and I went out and did some leadership training for a company out in central Nebraska. And I, I was really pleased by how it went. I think leadership training is something that we don't do particularly well for our frontline supervisors, whether that be, you know, this happened to be a construction company, so the room was full of superintendents and foremen, lead people like that. But I think as safety professionals, oftentimes we neglect giving our uh, leaders the skills that they need to do their work well uh, and and uh, appropriately. I mean, I don't know what you guys think about this, and we don't need to go down this road necessarily, but we, we can train the hell out of somebody on lockout, tagout, or hazard communication, or powered industrial trucks. I mean, you look at the powered industrial truck standard, and it has an entire subparagraph on the elements of training that we have to cover. But man, we don't prepare our lead people to lead uh, oftentimes. Um, and I think that's a gap that we need to fill. So um, I don't do a lot of self-promotion, but Aaron and I are going to be trying to get out there and offer a little bit of this training. I think there is uh, value in it. And I, and I hope uh, that, uh, you know, hope that we see that at some point. Well, and I know you haven't introduced me, but just from a reality standpoint, there's one or two safety people on each job site, whether it's construction, whether it's industry, whatever Absolutely. the job is. And there's how many tens or hundreds of employees. Right. So we've got to teach those frontline leaders to be safety people as well. I, I totally agree. It, it either works or doesn't work because of that frontline supervision, in my opinion, and in my experience. So anyway, um, let's get to the point. Today's episode I'm very excited about and very uh, almost apprehensive about. <laughs> I've got two good friends here. We're going to call this, uh, this is going to be basically a safety nerd fest today. Um, if you, and I consider myself a safety nerd. I love talking about safety. I love learning about safety. Even, you know, 34 years into this profession, there is still so much to be learned. And from these two guys... Uh, my, my buddies today are Joe Oswalt from E-Energy. It's an ethanol facility in Adams, Nebraska. Josh King uh, from Omaha Steaks, um, uh, uh, food processing facilities here in uh, Omaha primarily, but all over the country, all over the world, frankly. Um, and we're going to talk today about process safety management. Um, <laughs> you look nervous. <laughs> and I am nervous because, and, and frankly, the, I call these guys safety nerds. Uh, with the utmost respect and, and affection, these guys love what they do. They embrace what they do, they, and they do it particularly well. Uh, for those of you who know what process safety management is, uh, this is OSHA's regulation that pertains to the, the care and maintenance and, and management of highly hazardous chemicals. Uh, in Joe's case, we're talking about primarily ethanol, but some of the other chemicals involved in the process. In Josh's case, we're talking about anhydrous ammonia, the refrigerant, um, and, and this particular topic is really fascinating. There are so many elements to process safety management that it requires safety nerds to implement this kind of a program. I mean, attention to detail, uh, a broad understanding of safety, a broad understanding of management systems. And so 
What I am hoping today, uh, getting the three of us together, is that you two can share just a little bit, just a few insights, a few takeaways about process safety management for those that do it. I mean, I would assume there are people in the audience that are involved in process safety management, but the vast majority are not going to be directly affected by process safety management. But I think we have talked many times that there are, there's so much meat in this regulation that would be useful to those that don't aren't affected by it directly that I, I think it's important to share that. So having said that, I'm just going to step out of the way and see what happens. So um, can you guys offer any insights into pr what process safety management, maybe even a little bit about what you do and what that means within limits? And then let's just talk about that. And I, I think there are just so much, so many valuable lessons that we can share with these with the listeners. Sure. So cool. can I, we go there, Josh? Yeah, I always So this enjoy, is Josh. Give me your voice, Josh. Hi, okay. I'm Josh. Okay. You know, I always enjoy meeting with Joe because he has a different level of process safety management than we do in ammonia refrigeration. As great as process safety management is in ammonia refrigeration, it really is overkill and was designed for an industry like Joe's. Mm. So we have to take kind of a different approach to it. And uh, I'm going to let Joe speak first while I try sure. to figure out how to get to that 10,000-foot level that <laughs> right, you're looking right, for right. today. At least 10,000 feet. We're, <laughs> we're probably talking Blackbird uh, SR-71 level here. but I'll try and do the 10,000-foot Yeah, man. So this is Joe. Joe, say yeah, hi I'll to everybody. And, I'll try and do the 10,000-foot level. I'm not sure if I can because well, with, with, with process safety, you know, it's it, when you think about process safety as a whole – you know, you think about just breaking it down process. It's a process. So it can be any process. And how ammonia, it can be ethanol, it can be whatever the process is. And that process safety is exactly that. It's it's ensuring that the safety of the equipment that is being operated in that process and the making sure that our employees are properly trained, making sure that we have the, the appropriate safeguards in place, whether it be your mechanical integrity programs, your standard operating procedures, all those different pieces play into process safety. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, we're talking about the prevention of catastrophic issues. Yes. Talking I mean, about keeping it, in the, keeping it in the, what you're trying to do with process safety is keep whatever that chemical is in containment. Right. And that your primary containment is your pipe, your vessel, whatever that, Mm -hmm. that chemicals flowing through mm -hmm. and the whole program, the premise of the whole program is to ensure that we keep that chemical in containment. Right. Because we're taught, I mean, if, if the chemical is covered by uh, 29 CFR 1910.119, if it's a covered chemical, it's either toxic or flammable or it, it's extremely oh, hazardous. Yeah, or yeah. It could be all of those yeah. things. Right. So definitely the intent is to minimize or eliminate the risks for catastrophic release or fire, explosion, those kind of things. I think I read recently, just a few weeks ago, down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, one of the Exxon Mobil yep. plants is on yep. fire again. I mean, we hear about, I think those are what most people associate with PSM, those big refineries uh, down on the Gulf Coast. But we have that here in Nebraska, and obviously you guys deal with that. So um, just for the non-PSM person, okay, the person that just implements a traditional safety program on a construction site or in a, in a, in a fixed facility, a manufacturing facility. Um, what's one or two things that you could take from the PSM standard that would be applicable to them? Sure. Well, for me, one of the biggest one is employee participation. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. How well does your safety person actually know what the task the employee is doing? And on the flip side of that coin, how well does the employee understand the safety regulations that we have to meet as a company? Mm-hmm. And while we may not ever be able to completely mesh those two, maybe we can find you know, some middle ground or some understanding as to why you have to wear those silly safety glasses, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and unfortunately that's, you know, that's the attitude out there a lot. Yeah. The other part of it to me is I would encourage them to do a light reading of the entire standard mm-hmm. because whether they meant to or not, OSHA really laid out a pattern to manage your entire safety program within the PSM program. You just have to think out of the box a little bit. I think that's true. I would recommend that too. And I, you know, I know that is risky to recommend going into the regs and reading regs, but I read regs all the time. You guys read regs all the time. I mean, if this is what you've chosen to do, you need to be in the regs. Yeah. From time to time, you need to be in those regs. And PSM, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It lays out a really nice system for managing risk. So employee involvement, obviously being one piece of that, most definitely. And maybe, yeah. maybe, the, maybe the biggest piece. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Well, if you don't have employee participation, then obviously you're not meeting the intent of the standard, which mm-hmm. is which is not only building a, a program, but then getting the employees involved. Because when you're writing standard operating procedures, you're talking about operating equipment. Who are the folks who are going to be doing that? Well, those are your employees. It's not going to be the safety guy. Right. I'm not going to be out there operating that equipment. It's going right. to be the employees. Right. And so if you don't have the employee participation, you are missing a big piece of the pie. Because you can build a world-class program. But if you don't have employee involvement, yeah. what you got is a world-class program on a piece of paper. Right. And to take that even a step further to the outside of the PSM world, you know, you look at your job hazard analysis, job safety analysis, whatever, you know, three-word mm-hmm. combination you want to use for that. I may be a great safety guy. I like to think I am. Mm-hmm. I can't cut a steak. That's mm-hmm. what those guys out there right. cutting steaks, swinging the knives are for. Right. So when we do that job safety analysis for the steak cutter, I need to go out there and I need to have them explain to me what right. they're doing. And, and then that, that's I need part to of the employee the participation element. Absolutely. Getting that information. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. And, and I think we all know that if you uh, employee participation is an element that transcends all of these individual programs, man. I mean, if you want to have a successful program, you need to find meaningful ways to involve your employees mm-hmm. in the program. Um, and I know there are other, I mean, well, you mentioned uh, job hazard analysis. I mean, there's obviously a very detailed process hazard analysis component to PSM, which is incredibly deep, way over my head, man. That's why I, I know, that's why I know you guys. I don't associate with you guys just out of just pure fun. I mean, that's stuff I don't understand, and you guys do, and it's incredibly detailed. But on a smaller scale, everybody needs to be doing that. I mean, all of their processes and tasks and activities, we need to be looking at those critically to identify where those hazards exist. And so, um, I mean, what what do you guys, how do you guys do your PHA? How do you do a PHA? How do you do that process analysis? Well, the first thing you need to do is identify um, why you're doing it. And a process hazard analysis is usually defined by a change in the process. So really, before you even get to that, you got to define what process are you trying to cover and then am I making a change in that process that, as defined by OSHA, is not a change in kind? Right. So you go beyond that. I'm making a change. Now I need to determine, do I need to have a process hazard analysis? And that PHA is going to then define any any things that you might need to address as you go through your PHA. So really what you're doing is you're looking at the hazards. You're identifying what risks are there. 
what safeties do I have in place, and is there more that I could be doing? And that's where your recommendations okay. come from. And that's really a PHA in a nutshell, but it okay. gets way bigger when detailed. you add it to a facility because you might have um, the facility that I work at, we have, you know, you could break that down into 30, 40, 50 different processes sure. that all blend into one to make one product, but you right. have all these different processes. Right. And then you have those PHAs that go along with it. So you really have to, but the first piece is define that process. And then okay. am I making a change to that process? And that change could be a standard operating procedure change. We've decided that we're going to do something different and here's how we're going to do that. And then you start looking at How's that affect the employees? How's that affect my equipment? How's that affect my mechanical integrity program? I mean, it, it, it's it's a it's certainly a rabbit hole that you're going to go mm-hmm. down with a PHA. Yeah, yeah. Is that, and so for you, with ammonia as the process, the covered process, yeah. is it a very it is similar in that it's, respect? Are you looking? It's similar, but it's much less. I don't want to say much less involved because it's very involved. But we have one process. Right. We have ammonia refrigeration mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. it. So for us, we look more not only at did we change something in the process, but we look at um, the Rega gap and mm-hmm. are we meeting the standards of the Rega gap mm-hmm. traditionally in our PHAs? Okay. Um, at least past the first mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that makes sense. You know, but change, yeah. obviously, change is something that has to be considered and addressed. It has in to be in your world, it has to be managed. It has, and in your world, that is critical. I think in most companies' worlds, change can be problematic if you don't uh, consider it before you oh, go through it. Right? Yeah. I mean, management of change is one of those things that I think maybe on a smaller scale is really useful for any company. You can, if you look at the definition of change um, in one nineteen. It, it can be as simple as changing a pH, mm. changing your pH. If you have a process that has a pH of 4.0 and you're changing it to 5.0, you need to understand how's that going to affect all them downstream processes because mm-hmm. that that change in just something as simple as pH could have catastrophic effects downstream. You know, if, if, you're, if your piping's not designed properly to handle that type of pH change or, you know, you, you got to look at your, your process safety valves. You got to look at... There's so many things upstream and downstream, and you got to look at the upstream piece of it too. Mm-hmm. You know what's feeding into that? What other chemicals do I have that feed into that that could be affected by something as simple as a pH change? Right, and and a lot of changes that get missed, at least in our industry, are as simple as I switched from lubricant A to lubricant B, mm-hmm. or I switched from valve A to a new version of the same valve A that has different internal components. Mm-hmm. Or we hired a new maintenance manager. How is that going to affect right. our process? Or our budget got cut. How is that going to right. affect our yeah. process? Oh, yeah. That should be a management of change as well. Absolutely. I, you know, I think management of change, in, in my mind, is one of those things that everybody should be implementing to some degree. Anytime you change a process, you need to consider. I mean, most facilities, when they bring in new equipment, uh, you know, when they install new equipment, I mean, there's a kind of a pre-startup safety review that we do yeah. that's kind of covered in PSM, but it is, it's about change. How is that going to impact uh, employee exposures, whether that, that might be uh, a machine guarding issue, it might be an air contaminant issue, it might add to noise levels, it might... A flow of The flow of product. People or the flow ergonomics. of product. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's just... Exit route. Ex- exactly. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it really has 
broad implications. And if we're not doing some form of management of change, we're probably missing stuff. Oh, yeah. What about contractors? I know there's a huge contractor element. And for those people that, that deal with contractors, if you're a host employer or even a general contractor that uses subs, I think the, the description of contractor management in the PSM standard would be useful. Oh yeah, and, and you got to train your you got to train your contractors. They got to understand what process they're working on, um, what they can and can't do. Um, you know, because with with uh, as most everybody knows with OSHA and with any federal uh, agency, they love to incorporate by reference. So then, as you have contractors come on site, you know, and they're welding on that piece of equipment, have they had the proper certifications through the American mm-hmm. Petroleum Institute, for instance, API standards? You know, you have to look deep when you have contractors on site to determine, do these guys have the proper certifications just to even do the work, Mm -hmm. let alone work in that process. Right. And unfortunately, in this day and age, a lot of companies are still bottom line driven. Sure. Contractor A can save me $50,000 compared to contractor B, and they fail to look at insurance requirements. They fail to look at safety records. Mm-hmm. They, they fail to look at everything that should go into selecting that good contractor, and then they expose themselves to so much more risk. Right. I, I think contractors are one of the greatest risks that we encounter, the contractors that come onto your sites. Yeah. Um, from an OSHA perspective, when I was back with OSHA, that was very common, that the contractors either do something that is – introduces new hazards or they bring something on site, the activities that they're performing, whatever that might be. Uh, it is non-routine typically for what we do on our sites and it, and it can be problematic. So yeah. one of the points in the contractor's uh, standard in 119 that I see missed most often is the periodic review of the safety performance of the contractor. Even companies that do a good job of pre-qualifying their contractors and they get them out there working on site, they miss that part of it where you're supposed to go out and observe and make sure they're working in a safe way and living up to that level. Oh, no. Okay. And with multiple sites, that's a great tool because you may have a contractor that does great at site A, but a different crew from the same contractor may not be worth beans at site B. Right. And not only are you meeting the standard then, but then you have the information to say, hey, if we're going to use this contractor, we want it to be this crew. This crew isn't welcome. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, I, I think that contractor oversight piece. Now, you know, there are, you know, that's kind of a, a new element that's been introduced within the last five years or so. The, these uh, third parties that do these contractor prequalifications for us. I, I, I can't, there's one called Approve, I think, the SMI guys. And there's one called ISNet World or something. Um I don't, I'm not in a position to uh, evaluate those. I think they fill a need. I don't know how well that prequalification works. I'm, I'm concerned sometimes that it's just a paperwork exercise and we're not actually evaluating the contractors. So I think that what you just described is critical that you can get all the paper where everything looks on paper looks great, but you still have a duty to actually evaluate those contractors' performance. You don't want to skip that piece. Oh, Absolutely. Yep, I d- that, that scares me a little bit. Yeah, contractors can certainly be a, um, they can be a, a risk at times. But if you get the right contractors, um, then you can mitigate that risk by doing those things, checking to make sure that their safety record's intact. You know, mm-hmm. they have a good safety record. The other thing is, is for contractors that run across state lines, um, 
they might have different requirements from different states. Um, sure. Fire marshal code reviews are a big one where certain states, um, they might they might not hold contractors to the same level of scrutiny as maybe Nebraska does. Okay. And so you want to keep that in mind. And that's going and that's part of your your MOC process, your management change process, identifying all of those things and then making sure the contractors are following through on it. Okay. That's interesting. Well, so let me ask you this. Um, if you were talking to another a new guy, a new PSM guy, a guy who's gonna getting into the PSM world. Um, going to be have some PSM responsibility perhaps, and I, I know you guys have you both have people that work for you. Um, what what lessons have you learned? What would you tell somebody new to the PSM world? Run, uh, <laughs> don't don't look back, or, or what could you what what advice would you give them? What what have you done perhaps? You will never get out once you get in. Well, maybe yeah. Is that, is, I, would, I can believe that to be true, but I mean. Just a lesson learned that's something that you have learned over the years of doing this. Hey, man, be sure that you pay attention to this or don't forget this or, you know, this is where I struggled a little bit. Anything like that that you could share or um, either one? Yeah, yeah my my two. What's your lesson? Would probably be know your system. You can be great at PSM. I like to think I'm great at PSM. Mm-hmm. I would not be good at Joe's facility until I learn Joe's processes and Joe's systems. Mm -hmm. So number one is actually know your system. And number two is, and it's simple, but get in the regs, know your Mm -hmm. regs. There are some really great third party providers out there that have maybe interpreted the regulations to their financial benefit. Sure. And they will, uh, they will gladly provide you with that service for the appropriate fee. Sure. Sure. And it may not actually be a required service. It may be a best practice, but it may not be a required service. And if you're on a tight budget, it helps to know your regs Mm -hmm. and, uh, your inspectors, your ocean inspectors, your EPA inspectors, your USDA inspectors, in my case, they don't always know the regulations either. Right. And, uh, Sometimes it's really easy to just nod at them and say, okay, you're right, when they're really not. So of course. know your system and know the regs. Know that reg, absolutely. Yeah. That's great advice, man. And, and I know that, from again, from the OSHA side, we were required to have at least one, if not two, uh, compliance officers trained in PSM, which meant they were sent to the Institute. They spent about four weeks up there in perhaps two different classes, you know, PSM one and two. And uh, which does not make them experts in PSM. These are guys that they understand the way that the reg is laid out and they are coached on certain things to look for. Uh, they were even at, at one time when we were doing a lot of uh, PSM inspections, they had uh, this kind of a dynamic list of questions that would be provided by the PSM folks in the national office. And they were expected to evaluate those things, maybe even look at part of a process. But they are by no means experts, and I think they would be the first to admit that. Certainly not in your process, as you would, you you know, you've indicated. So, I think you do have to take some of that information with a grain of salt. You know, I mean, I know you, yeah. Joe. You've been through the. I know Matt came down and visited you a few years ago, and uh, it was probably a learning experience for both of you. I would assume. Oh yeah, yeah, and and you know, knowing your system is key. You know, um, when when Matt was in with me, you know. Um, I argued a lot of points and argue in a good way, obviously. Sure, yeah. Um, I argued a lot of points. Um, Some of them I won because I knew my system. Some of them I didn't. Uh, There was one in particular that he had that that Matt actually went back 
and it went clear back to D.C. before they finally got a, a resolution mm-hmm. on it. Good. Um, be, because they just, they weren't sure. You know, I'd interpreted the reg one way. They interpreted it another. Of course. And, and we came to an agreement on it. Good. You know, but it, it took some time. So, but you have to know, you absolutely have to know not only your system, but know the regs too. Mm-hmm. And if, if there was a, a young pup just starting out in PSM, the very first thing I would tell them is go home and read the regs. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done reading them, read them again. Read them yep. again. And yep. then when you're done reading them, read them again. And, <laughs> and then dig into those letters of interpretation and dig into those supportive yep. documents. As you mentioned, the American Petroleum Institute, yep. uh, there, there are a lot of uh, consensus standards that probably were drawn from to create the OSHA regulations that are yep. probably very important. You know, one of the things OSHA did was when they wrote 119, they also have, so when you read it, you read 119, and then go to Appendix A because there's an Appendix A and Appendix B to the PSM standards. So you got the regs that say thou shalt, mm-hmm. and then they have Appendix A, which says, and here's what we mean by that. So you can spend as much time, if not more, in Appendix A of 119 as you can in the actual 119 regs. Right. Because that's where the rubber meets the road where they're saying, and here's what we mean by what we put mm-hmm. in 119. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yep. no, absolutely. And reach out to other PSM people. I mean, mm-hmm. I have yet, knock on wood, to meet a PSM person that's not willing to sit down over a coffee or an sure. adult beverage and right. discuss ad nauseum right. your question about PSM. Well, my point about safety nerds <laughs> in the beginning, I mean, you guys uh, love this stuff. I mean, you live in this stuff. And so I'm, I'm sure we probably need a support group for PSM. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I... Yeah, I'm Doug, and I am a PSM uh, manager. Yeah. Hi, Doug. You know, I've, I've been to the meetings. I know what that's like. But I, I think you're right. And, and that's the whole point of this. I mean, this podcast was originally envisioned to just be an electronic network for people to get some information and to perhaps, I mean, I'll, I'll, unless you guys object, I will post your contact information oh, please on the website. And they can, you know, they can uh, send, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you consult for these guys but if they do have a question or if they're looking for guidance or they need a third party that is reputable whatever um it's good to have somebody that you can turn to and and get some information and i agree with you man i have never well i shouldn't say never but i rarely meet a safety professional particularly someone who is uh involved in a in a in an an area like psm that wasn't willing to share information you know, that's how we survive in this industry, frankly. So Yeah, and you don't have to give company information out in no, order to share information proprietary. about the Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that would, I guess that would be the third thing for the newbie is, yeah. you know, be willing to share. Yeah. Be smart, but be willing to share. Right. And, and be, I think a little humility goes a long way in something as complex as PSM. You don't know it all. I assure you, no. you do not know it all. So, yeah, a little humility I've, goes a long way. I've been living PSM, specifically PSM, for going on 13, 14 years now. Mm-hmm. And even today, when I find somebody else that has a PSM program, I gravitate to them. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you want to know, well, how do you interpret this? And mm-hmm. how do you look at this? And what do you do here? And you're right, Omaha Stakes and facility that I'm at, totally opposites you couldn't get farther mm-hmm. from with the exception of the ammonia but he uses ammonia for a different reason than i do mm-hmm. but we both have ammonia and the antennas perk up Ooh, 
when he does this, I wonder how he interprets this piece of the mm-hmm. standard, you right. know. And uh, and I think you'll find that that most most safety folks want to do that. You know, mm-hmm. they they want to talk with others about how you how you uh, interpret a standard because that's really where where it really gets tough. Mm-hmm. Is three different people read the standard and you get three different interpretations, right? You know, and so you're always trying to figure out which one's the right one. For my facility. Yeah, no doubt. Right. And that's that's also the nice part about PSM is three different people read it and you get three different interpretations. So you can cherry pick from the best, like Joe just said. Mm-hmm. But also in the event that you do get that inspection, you have the right to say, well, this is how I interpreted it. And, you know, like Joe said, yep. and even in my previous life, having gone through NEP audits with previous employers, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it goes all the way to Washington before they say, well, okay, we can live with your interpretation, right. even though that's not exactly what we think. Right, yep. absolutely. And, and uh, they certainly did not anticipate every contingency, every issue that might arise. Oh, and so that's, that's really important to be able to get that kind of clarification and maybe even you might even change their minds a little bit from time to time. Let's, let's, take, a little, let's take a step back. Um, in, in a nutshell, just give me a little bit about your PSM background. I know, Josh, you came out of the – you were actually on the, the technical side of PSM. Right. I and, started yeah, t- as a – I'm sorry, I'm in the No, go right ahead. Go ahead. I started as a uh, – just a maintenance lackey in an mm-hmm. ammonia refrigeration facility mm-hmm. and then moved up to an assistant operator and then an operator – and then a, a maintenance manager, the mm-hmm. company at the time called them engineers, although I don't have those three little letters, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then a regional maintenance manager and then a PSM specialist. Nice. Okay. Through that. So you were wrenching on this stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. Sometimes I miss it. Most of the times I don't. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, there is something to be said for, you know, for but, having an office and yeah. to be able to get well, out of it from time to time. But. And that goes back to knowing your system. Because right. now if there's a PSM question, I can explain to the operator, yes, I know you have to do this, but we have to do it this way because. Right. And I have that understanding. Yeah, so, that's cool. Yeah, that helps a lot. That is cool. And Joe, you came out of the the military and you were, I, we've had this conversation before, a nuke guy. And so obviously systems were very important in your previous life. How did you yeah. get into the PSM world? Kind of the same thing. Um Maintenance manager facility that had ammonia refrigeration. Okay. So we had, you know, a uh, a program. And then when I went into the ethanol industry, they've obviously got a program. So it right. just kind of went from one to the other. Okay. And it's, it's just knowing your system. But yeah, it's to me, to me, PSM's always made sense because of my my background in the in the nuclear navy. Because mm-hmm. um, when you deal with uh, nuclear regulatory commission, um, they're one step maybe many steps above OSHA. Yeah, I was going to say. You man. know, um, so oh, yeah. you deal with them, and, and when you want to talk systems, they've they've got massive systems right. that you have to maintain. So PSM, for me, the first time I read it, it just made sense to me. Right. It just, yeah. it was his. And isn't that interesting? A, Probably you as well, Josh. You guys read that stuff, and it makes sense to you. The majority of us read that stuff, and we're just like, uh, who can I call? You know, so thanks. <laughs> for, for better or worse, you know, that's. You know, I I gave my history, but when I got my first plant for a previous employer, they had three big binders that said PSM. They looked beautiful. They were white. They were clean. They were brand new, and there wasn't a stitch of paper in them. 
Really? Just yeah. binders? <laughs> just binders. <laughs> binders. Right. So, you know, nice. I had no choice but to read it and, uh-huh. and understand yeah, it. Yeah, figure it out. And then they found out I did understand it, and it's been all uphill, ever downhill, since. whichever well, way you look yeah, at you it. Yeah, you guys are few since. and far between. Yeah. You know? Evolutionarily, for some, uh, probably, but, you know, <laughs> there aren't many of you that understand that stuff. So, well, I'm going to I want to change gears a little bit. Um, we're about halfway through the session, and... Uh, you know, other, we either get into great detail on PSM and then lose some folks. Uh, most. Well, most folks. <laughs> or, but interestingly, you guys are both from outstanding facilities. I've been, with, I've been in both of your facilities. Uh, excellent. You guys are both excellent. Omaha Steaks is in OSHA's VPP program, in fact. And uh, E, you know, Energy could certainly be in OSHA's VPP program. Um, my question, I guess, is, kind of one about attitude and culture, uh, but, I mean, what makes a good company, why are some companies good and why are some companies crappy at this? I mean, what do you guys do differently? I mean, well, and this is is going to sound strange. It it is, but this is going to sound strange, but financials. And I'm not talking about huge budgets and throw all kinds of money at safety. I'm talking about an upper management that understands that even an injury that isn't recordable or a lost time injury mm-hmm. is going to run you fifteen to twenty thousand dollars in undiscoverable cost mm-hmm. in you know lost time for your production in lost time mm-hmm. for your safety person to investigate it right and every one of those comes right off the bottom line. Most mm-hmm. companies have enormously large deductibles on their work comp insurances where the first 50, 100, 150, whatever comes right off the company's bottom Mm -hmm. line. So if upper management understands that accidents cost them money, they're more likely to support building a culture, even if it's not with, you know, gold Mm -hmm. level budgets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, and so that's been the case at Omaha Steaks for quite a long time then. I mean, you guys were in VPP when I was with OSHA and I was on a few audit teams that, that went through the VPP audits. And so that's obviously, and it's a, it is a family owned business. It is. And still, that helps still a family owned business, right? Not a big corporate monster necessarily, uh, probably does help. Um, what do you think, man? I mean, what, what has driven this thirst for safety at your facility? Um, for me, it starts at the, for, for my facility, it starts at the top and, um, we have a great senior leadership team that, that just gets it, that, uh, that, um, safety makes sense to them. Um, the CEO came in, um, from another facility where he had, he had seen a couple of fatalities, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and it just made sense, um, from a safety perspective, which made my job both easy and hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so High expectations you know, as well yeah. as support. Yep, but you got to have that support because you can have all the expectations in the world, but if you don't have the support from your even your front line managers, then it makes it really tough to have a good right. a good safety culture. Yeah, and so what do you guys what do you get, what are you doing with regard to culture right now? I know you and I have talked about this recently. You just had some training not too long ago, and uh, man, you come out of training. Typically, if you're a safety nerd, you come out of training and you're like, oh, 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 I gotta, you know. Most yep. of us, those of us that are nerdy, don't sleep through it. We're we're there, wide eyed, and you know, eager to learn something. So, what did you learn at that? Well, we're actually, I've actually, um, we're turning a corner with our safety program and going from just having a safety program to diving into 
uh, chasing down the excellence aspect mm-hmm. and having a safety, uh, an excellence, um, a safety excellence team that then we are working at uh, defining right now what does that mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's not necessarily fewer accidents, you know, fewer people getting hurt, things like that. You know, you, you want to go way beyond that and mm-hmm. get way ahead of that. You know, those are your lagging indicators. It's happened and, you know, and sure, we can reduce accidents, but how do you do that? And, well, that's with your culture mm-hmm. and, and defining that culture, um, defining what it looks like today and where we want it to, what we want mm-hmm. it to look like five years from now, 10 years from now, um, and to understand that it's a journey. It's not a destination. You'll mm-hmm. never, once you think you're there, there's always something more you can be doing. Right. Uh, absolutely, without question. I don't think there is an end in, in this program. It's just a continuous effort to improve. If you're not improving, you're kind of falling back probably Yeah. in all likelihood. So from an attitude, I mean, culture, could could you equate culture to attitude to some degree or just the, the way people view safety, I suppose, in your facilities? Or, I mean, you guys couldn't be a lot different even just from the standpoint of the make. I mean, you're a very rural facility. Your energy, an ethanol plant in Adams is a rural facility you probably draw from that workforce. Nope. Omaha Steaks is an urban enterprise here in Omaha, and you are drawing you know, food processing in general is typically a very diverse workforce. I mean, so you guys couldn't be much different at yeah. all, and yet you have both achieved these incredibly high levels of performance. I mean, what do you attribute that to, man? Um, you know, a lot of it, like Joe said, it really goes back to the top. If you don't have buy-in at the top, you're never going to succeed. And once you get buy-in at the top, you just have to drive that a little further down and a little further down. We're, uh, we're currently creating a safety for the frontline leader series of classes uh, for all of our, our frontline leaders, all mm-hmm. of our supervisors, that'll go from history of safety systems and what a safety system is all the way through what electrical safety looks like at mm-hmm. Omaha Stakes. Mm-hmm. To give them, you know, we don't want to turn them into safety people. They're great production leaders, mm-hmm. and that's what we need them to be. Mm-hmm. But they need to have that knowledge. And Absolutely. this is a series of one or one and a half hour classes. Nice. And then, you know, our company has what we call Omaha Stakes University, and you earn a badge. And a lot of times, if you want to move up, they say, okay, well, do you have the leadership badge? Mm-hmm. Now it'll be, do you have the safety badge? Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's then, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then we've, as part of VPP, we have a NSG, a special government employee mm-hmm. on site that gets to go on these VPP audits. So we get to bring best practices from all different industries back, and that helps a lot. And definitely, we just got him through the five eleven and five hundred one classes to be authorized to teach the ten and thirty oh, hour good. classes in house. Good. Is that Martin? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And, and you know that that's interesting that you say that. I. I um, was heavily involved in VPP during my time with OSHA, and that SGE program is one of the best aspects of the special government employee that is essentially sworn in like an OSHA employee. They accompany OSHA team leaders on those audits, and so they have an opportunity to observe best practices at other facilities and just shamelessly steal those ideas (laughs) and bring them back as if they're their own. You know, they've had this revelation, you know, or whatever. Uh, But that's really a unique opportunity. Yeah, there's, uh, kind of a benchmarking opportunity. You know, there's very little new under the sun in terms of safety. You know, there's some new technological advances. Yeah, you call them different things yeah, once in a while. Everybody out there has come up with something, 
and I'm not ashamed to say, hey, I like that. I'm right. going to make it fit what I need. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we talk about this culture thing, though, I mean, if you were, if you were trying to give someone an idea, what, what are you, give me just one idea of something you are actually doing out in your facility to try to drive your culture in the direction you want to go. I mean, program wise, um, are, are you, I mean, one of the things we already talked about from PSM standpoint was employee involvement, employee engagement, where they are actually involved in meaningful ways. Do you have any insights into how you involve your employees in the process or anything unique or thing that, that is it just, just this uh, consistent mantra of uh, this is what we do or do you actually, I mean, what are we doing? Soliciting we're, feedback? We're going to... All of that. Uh, we actually have a survey going out here shortly to discuss um, safety culture and, and what people think as far as where they think we are today. Um, I've actually started a series of training courses on uh, on what I call safety 101, getting back mm-hmm. to the basics. And when I say basics, I'm not talking like, you know, let's talk about lockout, tag it, or things like that. Let's talk about safety. What does it mean to be safe? What's the definition of mm-hmm. safety? You know, and if because if they don't understand you know, safety is all about recognizing risk. And then what can I do to mitigate that risk and then implement those strategies based on the, what can I do? That's mm-hmm. safety in a nutshell. That is, yep. And if people don't get that, you can throw policies at them, you can throw procedures at them, you can throw all this other stuff at them, but they don't, but if they don't understand that very, that very basic piece, which is recognizing risk, right? If they don't understand that, then the rest of it's just fluff. That's a good point. And so yeah. we've, and so we've chosen to go back to the beginning and start over. And we're talking, we've got folks there that have been there 12, 13 years. Everybody's going back to basics. Let's mm-hmm. talk about what is it? What is safety? What is the safe? What does it mean to have a safety culture? What could that look like? What's it look like today? Mm-hmm. What could it look like? What can we do to get to that next level and then start to develop those strategies to then move in that direction? But that all takes time. We're talking sure. we're talking within this first year, we might get our vision of where we want to be five years from now, mm-hmm. just from that first year. And we're meeting every month. We're constantly talking amongst ourselves and uh, asking each other questions to start to develop that vision and then develop the strategies, understand where we're at today, where we want to get to, right. and then get the, and then get everybody else on board as to why it is important that we work safe. And ultimately, it's about getting people home at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yep. And, I mean, go ahead, Josh. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, and, you know, just to kind of dovetail off of that, we're doing something similar, but not necessarily in that way. We're continuously talking about – if you injure your back here, how is that going to affect you at home? Can mm-hmm. you play soccer mm-hmm. with your son? Can you, you know, can you pick your daughter up and dance with her at the daddy daughter dance at right, the church? Right. You yeah. know, and and how does that injury affect you outside of work? And mm-hmm. then figure out what employees' risk assessment or risk acceptance levels are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was funny in early in my safety career, man, I was all safety at work. And then I'd go home and not put my safety glasses <laughs> right, on or my earplugs and rip uh-huh. the circular saw out, right. you know? Yeah. And I had to stop and think about it, you know, wait a minute, how can I preach this all day and then still have this level of risk acceptance myself at home? Right. And you've got to figure out a way to get that employee risk acceptance level to where the company's risk acceptance level is. Right. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. Yeah, both of you, I agree. I mean, this has got why you got, why your companies are so successful in this 
in this endeavor. I mean, these are things that uh, I don't think most companies even consider doing, but I think you're right. I think ideally a safety program is simply recognizing risk, hazard, you know, those, those exposures that we, we have out in the workplace and doing something to correct them. It's really not much more complicated than that. And maybe looking out for each other here and there, you know, you know, keeping an eye on your coworkers when they're not having a great day or they're off a little bit. Maybe I'm kind of keeping track of them, keeping an eye on them. But it doesn't have to be overly complicated, I think. Maybe sometimes people are, you know, this is daunting and they, and they don't even know where to start. But I think you're right. Get back to the basics, kind of get back to, you know, explaining why we do this, why this is important. It's not just important to the company. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know. And this time of year is dangerous, uh, you it know, is. for all companies, but especially ours. We just came out of the biggest period of the sure. year that we have every year. Your busy season, My right? busy season. So, you know, everybody's kind of taking that deep breath and relaxing. The weather's getting nice. Mm-hmm. And at work, people are starting to think about, can I mow the lawn yet? Can I do this yet? Can I do that yet? And they're not focused. And mm-hmm. when people lose that focus, that's when the silly injuries happen. Right. Right. Kind of that uh, complacency. Yeah. You know, that uh, self-confidence. I'm, I know what I'm doing. I don't have to be focused or whatever that might. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Well, um, what else you got? Anything? Anything else you want to share before? I mean, before we wrap up? Sure. Um, what would you what would you recommend? I, um, as part of employee participation, employees love rewards, whether it's something small like a soda or a monetary reward. Now you have to be careful not to, you know, create a program that rewards non-reporting. Sure. But reward off of leading indicators or create a program where, hey, you submitted a safety suggestion, the safety committee got together, we think it's viable, we think it's a good suggestion, we're going to implement it, and here's the reward for that. And then we announce it in a plant meeting in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Hey, John Smith, uh, you know, put a safety suggestion in, we loved it, and he's awarded X. Mm-hmm. Nice. And at Omaha Steaks, that could be actually be a nice reward. I don't know what you guys use for incentives or rewards, but... Uh, <laughs> kind of depends on the level of uh, suggestion. Sure, but, yeah. no doubt. I, well, and, you know, and we talked about this in this leadership training that Aaron and I did earlier this week, that uh, OSHA, un- unfortunately, and uh, we oftentimes focus on discipline, and the negative and correcting, you know, undesired behavior. But as parents, we're all parents in this room. Uh, I think we realize that um, identifying and acknowledging the behavior we do want is just as important, if not more important, you know, and that's, that's not always easy in the workplace. You know, I, I you know, these, I was speaking to construction workers, these construction superintendents, they're pretty good at discipline, but they're not particularly good at reward or good jobs. I, you know, many of us never hear good job or add a boy or thanks. Yeah. You know, we no. hear what the hell you think you're doing pretty frequently, <laughs> you know? And so I think that is a missing, that's an important aspect of trying to drive a culture is rewarding or at least acknowledging the behavior you want. Yeah. And you a know. reward doesn't have to be anything more than nice job. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You know, yep. I know that, you yeah. know, yeah, it, it goes a long way. Um, you know, it, it's so easy to go point out the things that people are doing wrong, and you're right. Um, you know, the, a lot of times that's where the safety programs are. 
and that's the way people see them. Mm-hmm. Is, and and OSHA's you know, kind of pushed us in that direction, to be quite honest. Yeah, it's it's a it's a program of I'm going to catch you, and it's just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. the way a lot of people feel about safety, mm-hmm. and that's not what it's about. Ultimately, right. it's about making sure that that you know that we're doing the right things to to recognize the risks, so that we can make sure that you go home to your family every night with all your fingers and toes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if we're not doing that, then we're we're missing something in there. And and part of that is recognition. You know, having that conversation with them, going by and saying, "Hey, I noticed you got your." you know, safety glasses on, Hey, thanks a lot. Or giving a guy a mm-hmm. thumbs up because mm-hmm. he's in a lift and he's, he's tied off correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, those little things go a long way. They do. Because then you'll notice that the next time you walk by, they'll, uh, they'll give you the thumbs up. <laughs> right. And then <laughs> exactly. the next time they like to, they like to rattle the chain and say, I did get the chain up. See, uh-huh. and, you know, <laughs> oh, and, yeah, and, then, and then it starts to get fun because now people are, have recognized that, that it's not hard to be safe. It does take some thought, and that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest um, struggle that I've had coming into the safety world over the years was just the fact that, you know, you can provide somebody with all the tools to do their job safely, and ultimately it's up to them to decide to use it. Right. And it's how do we get in – how do we get them to want to use that? Mm-hmm. And that's where culture comes in, where, you know, if you're providing those positive feedback, people are going to be more apt to want to mm-hmm. do it versus just, you know, it's it's a condition of employment, so go do it. Yeah, but it's really more than that. Right. You know, it's, it's and I think that's home. where you get into that element of risk tolerance. You know, people, you know, if, if they don't perceive something to be terribly hazardous or risk, I do this at home all the time. I do it on the farm all the time, whatever the case might be. I don't know why I have to do it here unless you are actually acknowledging the good behaviors. I think people tend to regress. I think they tend to get away from those. They don't necessarily embrace it or understand it. And we, we see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, deviations from, you know, the desired procedures, I, I you know. Yeah, well, they don't see it as risk because they've got, you know, I've, you know, I haven't personally, but, you know, I've had people come to me and say, well, I mow my grass and my flip-flops and I've never got hurt. <laughs> right. But it only, takes, it only takes once and you don't have yep. any toes. Yeah, right. exactly. So, you know, the fact that, the no fact that the risk is there yeah. and yeah. just because you haven't been hurt doesn't mean that the risk doesn't Absolutely. exist. Yep. What it means is you're lucky that time, mm-hmm. and then you get lucky the next time. Before long, they don't. They no longer recognize that risk because I've done it fifty times that I way, yeah. and on the fifty-first time, they're in the yeah. hospital because half their foot's still laying in the yard. Absolutely, you know. So that yeah. and so you have to, the complacency of that when you get away with it one time, twice, three, four. The far the more times that you can recognize that risk, but then kind of sidestep it or not paying attention right. to it. You know, the farther away you get from it, that 20, 25th time, now now you don't think that risk even exists anymore. Exactly, It's still there. It's waiting to yeah. bite you. You, you just got to give it an opportunity, and it will. Yeah, yeah. I think and, it But it only takes times. once, and that's on. that one time is, is what the whole program is about, is mm-hmm. trying to never get to that one time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, as I've said before, I mean – the OSHA regulations seem overly burdensome at times, and, and if everything is going smoothly, you know, you rarely need the OSHA regulations. I mean, if you are on your game, you're focused, the equipment is performing correctly, you're performing correctly, you could probably do that indefinitely without machine guards on, in place. But on that day when you are off your game or you, you're distracted or the machine isn't functioning quite properly, 
um, that's when we have bad outcomes, you know, and, and that's coming. That is inevitable, I think. It, people make mistakes. It is inevitable. And so, you know, we just don't want to be exposed to risk that is uncontrolled. And we certainly, you know, we don't want to ignore that. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to accept that by allowing it to take place. You know, I mean, that's, that's a huge mistake, but. Yeah, and, you know, early in my career, somebody said something to me. I wish I was smart enough to say, oh, this was mine. But every one of those OSHA regs is written in blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I'd no rather doubt. not have it be any of my people's blood. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they, I, I, you know, the agency was typically reactive. You know, something bad would happen, they would develop a standard for it. And so, yeah, most of those, if not all of those regulations exist because of a, a bad occurrence at some point previously and, and a regulation was developed to try to address that. So, you know, I mean, it's not just... It's not really just made up or, you know, I mean, it, it, it's there for a reason, you know, certainly. So, um, you know, that is interesting. I can remember when I was with OSHA, we used to talk a lot about um, trying to be more positive, you know, trying to acknowledge good behaviors and, and, you know, good work practices, safe work practices. There isn't really a great mechanism for OSHA to do that. You know, you couldn't just drive up on a site and say, hey, I see you guys are using your fall protection. Good job. We really were, I think they were so fearful that, you know, we might say that under those circumstances and either miss something or something bad out would occur. And all of a sudden, uh, well, OSHA said it was fine, you know, that kind of thing. So, So we just really never did. I mean, the compliance officers have a little bit of latitude when they're conducting inspections to acknowledge good things and do that but it's not really it's not their strength necessarily you know they tend to focus on the negative and so i think we have i think that that has reflect reflected in how we conduct safety we tend to focus on the negative but man i think that that affirmation piece is a big piece of what we do so hopefully we can get better at that um any any parting comments any any last words or uh, you guys talked out. There's there's no magic bullet. I mean, everybody there, there can do it. One. Yeah, everyone can do it. I think I put such a restraint on you guys in the beginning that you're like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he actually wants me to talk. He just been keep telling me to, you know, you know. So you going to Brahms this weekend? I am. I'm looking forward Friday to Friday or it. Saturday. Saturday. Saturday night. We're going to be there. Saturday night. Yeah. This is my son's favorite. You know, Brahms is the intro to the podcast. Oh, so is it? Uh, we lead off with some Brahms, and that gets us started. Uh, my fu- my son's favorite piece is uh, Symphony One, so well, I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be a good exposure well. to you. Yeah, no doubt. Can, maybe I can actually talk to him about it afterwards. But, yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah. Joe, you interested in coming to, up to the Symphony this weekend? I'm headed to Kansas. Are you? Yep. Headed south? Yep. All right. Got to go finish putting a bathroom together for my son. Okay. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> so okay. I'm going well, back into construction mode. <laughs> oh, good for you, man. Well, that's a whole different set of regulations. <laughs> that's right. Bring Get your some bonding time. Bring your 1926 <laughs> with you. Well, everybody, hey, thanks for li- Guys, thanks for being here. I oh. sincerely appreciate You know I appreciate it. Thanks for having um, us. This is fantastic information. I'm going to post your contact information on the website. So, www.fletchersafety.com is where you can find the episodes where you can find contact information for these guys and the other guests um other than that i think you know we're going to call it a day and uh, i'll talk to you guys soon thanks very much be safe out there a parkville media production